Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. I feel like I say this a lot, but I love that song, man. Goodness. I'm being serious. I do. I love it. It's just the reckless love of God. That's, um, that's a really good way to describe God's love for us, isn't it? Loves us so much. Um, I've got a question for you guys. Why are you here? Why are you here? And not just... You know, uh, you know, being here on Sunday morning, because I know that's what a lot of you are probably thinking. Like, man, I'm here because it's Sunday morning. I go to church here talking about it. Or maybe you're here because it's Father's Day, and you're like, you know, I want to be here to honor my father. I am a father. But that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, in general, why, why are you here? Amen. Amen. I think, that's, I think that's a question, why are we here, that all of us have asked ourselves, most of us have asked ourselves that question several times in life. Like, what's the meaning behind all of this? What's the meaning behind my existence? Why am I here? Why am I here? Amen. I love that. There was a man that lived several years ago, a long, long time ago. And uh, he was actually known as the the richest, the wisest man in the entire world. People would come um, from all over the place just to gain an audience with this guy, to hear his wisdom, just even for a few moments, to to see um, his wealth and to hear about his accomplishments. This man had seen and had done so many things in his life, more than most of us could even fathom or dream of. And then he decided to write about it. And when he wrote about it, he kind of summed everything up in one word, all of his accomplishments, everything that he had done, everything that he had seen, everything that he had. He summed it all up in one word. And that one word was meaningless. Meaningless. Life was meaningless. It was essentially saying that life is void of any meaning or any purpose whatsoever. But he didn't stop there. As he kept on describing all these different things, calling these things out one after another after another, it's meaningless, it's meaningless, it's completely meaningless, void of anything. He ends up going around full circle, he comes back and he essentially says everything in life is completely meaningless, catch this, without God. Without God, everything in life is meaningless. In other words, it's not about what you do. It's not about who you are. It's not about you know, who you know or what you've done. True meaning in life can only be found. It is only found in God and nowhere else. If you didn't know already, the guy that I'm talking about is, is King Solomon, the man that lived a long time ago, richest, wisest man ever. But the thing is, King Solomon isn't alone in his views on life. In fact, most of us search our entire life to find any true value or meaning in anything. And with all the accomplishments, with all of the, uh, um, the things that happen in our life, the accomplishments, the things that we discover, given time, all it does is it just leads to more questions. And ultimately, given more time, it just leads to more emptiness. And it kind of leaves us with this question, it's like, am I even really alive? Like, what is it that really gives me life in the first place? Is it the air in my lungs? Is it the heart that's beating in our chest? Is that, is that what makes us alive? 
Is it the nervous system that's telling our organs to keep on firing, to keep on working, and to keep us going? What is it that actually makes us alive, that gives us life? And the book that we're, we're going into, we've been diving into and unpacking the last couple of weeks, and we'll continue to in the weeks ahead, Galatians. Paul hammers home on several different truths, but perhaps the most, one of the most profound truths that he shows us is that true life is only found in Christ. That's our big idea today. True life is only found in Christ. The truth is you can search your entire life. You can search as hard as you possibly can. But at the end of the day, ultimately at the end of your life, you will come up short. You will come up short. You will not find the meaning. You will not find the acceptance, the significance. You will not find the life that you were looking for unless you look to the only one that can give it to you, Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus, we are simply flesh and blood, aimlessly wandering around, searching for meaning. But with Jesus, we are alive. With Jesus, we have meaning. With Jesus, we're free. Pray. Father, thank you so much for this church, for this body of believers. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for your word that continues to change us and transform us. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you use me, sinful, broken man that is in desperate need of you. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word and to preach your gospel. That I am very much aware I am completely unable to do without you. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you speak to me and speak through me. I pray that when we dive into this text today, into your word, I pray that you help us to see it, help me to see it in a fresh new way. And when we leave here today, I pray that we leave here changed, not the same as when we came in, but changed and transformed by you. Help us to be people that shine and reflect your gospel to the world around us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so if you're here for the first time or if you've missed a couple of weeks, again, we've been unpacking the book of Galatians. That's, that's the book we're in. And um, it was originally a letter that was written by Paul to a group of churches in the area, the region of Galatia, thus that name, um, Galatians. And in that book, he hammers home again on, on several different truths, but probably the most important one that he hammers home on is the fact that when we know, when we know and when we apply the truths of the gospel to our everyday life, it changes everything. And he hammers that home in several different ways all throughout this book. But, but what we're going to see in the text today that we're going to be diving into, he's going to hit on several different things. But one of the main things that he's going to be hitting on is this word acceptance. Acceptance. Now, what we have to understand about acceptance is acceptance is key to finding meaning in life. In fact, psychologists, even secular psychologists, say that acceptance is central to life. Even, even secular psychologists know this. Acceptance is central to life. Without acceptance, when we don't feel accepted, we feel in turn rejected. We feel worthless. We feel hopeless. We feel like life has no meaning, like life isn't even worth re uh, living at all, like we have no reason to live when we don't feel accepted. The opposite of acceptance is rejection. And given time, with enough rejection and enough time, with that rejection, it ultimately ends up leading more often than not to severe depression. And depression um, can be caused by several different things. Um, it, it is genetically based a lot of times, severe depression, but there's other causes to depression as well. 
Um, one of those causes, for example, is loss. With severe loss can come severe depression. So, for example, a loss of a loved one, right? Or a loss of something that you hold valuable. Maybe it's a career or a, or a house or something that you, you really cherished and you valued. With, with severe loss can come severe depression. Something else that can cause severe depression um, is constantly having a negative attitude. So, con- constant negativity. So seeing life through this lens of negativity, um, when you look around, you're just kind of seeing the negative side of everything, kind of seeing life, you know, as if it's a glass, seeing it half full, or half empty, rather, rather than half full all the time. And given enough time with enough negativity constantly, that can lead to severe depression. And lastly, a couple other things that can lead to severe depression are a lack of a sense of fulfillment and a lack of social support. And notice with everything that I just described here, when it comes to depression, things that cause depression, they all kind of have a couple things in common. They all um, carry within this sense of belonging and um, purpose. They all carry within the sense of belonging and purpose. And what that tells us is belonging and purpose, they give our life meaning. They give our life meaning. And so belonging and purpose are so important, it kind of generates this question, well, where do I find belonging? Where do I find purpose in my life? Where do I find meaning? And the answer is through acceptance. Through acceptance. See, acceptance tells us that we're valuable. It gives us this sense of fulfillment. It gives us this sense of belonging. And through acceptance, we find meaning. And then the question becomes, where do we find acceptance? And that's what Paul's going to be hitting home on in this text that we're going to see, we're going to be diving into. We're going to see him talk about how we find acceptance, but first he's going to tell us how we uh, don't find acceptance. So let's, let's check this out in this text. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. If you got your Bible, go ahead and break it out, Galatians chapter 2. Um, we're going to kick this off with verses 11 through 14. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen, though. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcised party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews. So in this scene, we see a couple groups of people, like a couple major groups of people. First, you've got the Gentiles. What are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are just non-Jews. These people were not Jews before. They are not Jews now. They've never been Jews, non-Jews, Gentiles. Then you've got this other group of people, the circumcised party. And what's up with that? These guys were Jews that have been redeemed by Christ, that have, have become Christians, right? And the reason for that word circumcised, the circumcised party, is because when you were a Jew, you, you have to obey the Mosaic law, right? That's what they do. They obey that Mosaic law. And in order to obey the law, one of the things that you had to do, you had no choice in the matter. If you want to obey the law, you have to be circumcised. As a male, that's one of the, that's like the main outward sign that you belong to Christ, that you, are, that you belong to God, rather, that you are part of that, that group of people. And so they were the circumcised group, okay? So you got these two groups of people, and this text, it starts off with like a bang, man, like right out of the gate. We immediately see this opposition that's going on between Paul and this guy named Cephas. And remember, last week we learned that Cephas is Peter. It's the apostle 
Peter. So you have one of the most well-known apostles, Paul, that's straight up opposing another one of the most well-known apostles, a pillar in the church, Peter, straight up opposing him to this, his face. And this is an extremely dramatic scene because not only is he opposing him to his face, but he's doing this in front of all of these other people, in front of these two groups of people, Gentiles and these circumcised that are mixed together. He's opposing Peter to his face in front of all of these guys. And we got to know that these guys um, that are there with them, these two groups of people that are there with Paul and with Peter, these guys are under their teaching. They're under Paul and Peter's leadership and their teaching. They're straight up be, being discipled by these guys. And, and, and it generates the question, well, what's going on? Like, why in the world would Paul be directly opposing Peter in the first place at all to his face because Peter is a leader in the church, but then why would he be doing it in this way? Why would he be doing it in front of all these other guys? Why didn't he just like wait until everybody else is gone and pull them aside or, or something like that? Why is he opposing them to his face in front of all of these people? And the reason is because Peter's actions, check this out, don't miss this, Peter's actions directly spoke rejection to the Gentiles. It directly spoke rejection to the Gentiles, again, the non-Jews that were there. I mean, he might as well have been screaming in their face, I do not accept you. Uh, my group of friends over here, the circumcised, we do not accept you. And ultimately, God does not accept you. He might as well have just been screaming that in their face. Again, our actions, it like speaks a thousand words. He might as well have just been screaming this in their face. You are rejected by us. You are rejected by God. And not only that, but then it, through his actions, he was leading other people to do the same thing, including other leaders like Barnabas to do this same thing. Dang, and that's why this is such a big deal. That's why Paul is so frustrated and upset by what's going on, and he's opposing him to his face in front of all of these other people, and he's not holding back. He's not sugarcoating what's going on. He's doing this intentionally. He's doing this in a way so that Peter and everybody else there will understand exactly what's at stake here, exactly how important this is and exactly what Peter is doing. Because here's the thing, Peter is acting just like these other false teachers that were coming in and infiltrating the churches in Galatia. And remember, the last few weeks we've been diving into this. We've been hitting on this a lot. One of the main reasons that Paul wrote this letter, this book to the Galatians, is because of these false teachers that were coming in and they were spreading these false gospel. They were spreading lies. They were trying to tell these churches in Galatia that were made up mostly of Gentiles, non-Jews, uncircumcised, that they had to follow the Mosaic law in order to be saved. In other words, they had to do things like, for example, be circumcised to be saved. You've got to earn your salvation through keeping the law, through good works, through doing things like circumcision, rather than trusting in the free gift of grace found only through Jesus Christ. That's what these guys were telling them. And through Peter's actions, he was saying the exact same thing. And what this tells us too is, guys, acceptance is central to the gospel. Acceptance is central to the gospel message. When Peter rejects the Gentiles, again, those, those non-Jews, he's essentially telling them as well that God does not reject you. It's this question, okay, why is this? Again, because he is a leader in the church. He's a leader all these other guys are looking up to him. And so when he's doing this as an apostle, one of the main apostles, a pillar in the church, all these other guys are seeing this and they're saying, wow, that must be what God thinks. 
the Gentile or the, 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 the circumcised are thinking, well, that must be what that God thinks about the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are thinking, well, that must be what God thinks about us. God rejects us. Oh, this is a big deal. But the worst part about all of this is Peter knows better. Peter knows better. I, I mean, like, Peter... Peter isn't ignorant to this. It's not like Paul knows something that Peter has been left in the dark about that. He he knows better. And this generates the question, then why is he doing this? What's up with this? If he knows better, why is he doing this? And the answer is fear. The answer is out of fear. See, Peter was afraid of rejection, not being accepted by the circumcised group. He, wasn't, he was afraid that he was going to be rejected and he wasn't going to be accepted by his group of guys, by his clique, so to speak. His fear of rejection, the very thing that he was afraid would happen to him, is what caused him to withdraw from and reject the Gentiles. Because what this tells us is, is our fear of rejection can cause us to, in turn, reject others. The sick cycle of sin And what happens is we allow the enemy to creep in, to spread these lies to us like we're not good enough. Like we've got to earn other people's favor. We've got to be good enough. We've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to get people to like us or to love us or or in order to get God to like us or to love us. And, And Satan spreads these lies and we start believing them. And as we start believing these things, we end up doing the very thing that we're afraid will happen to us. We end up rejecting others. That's all. It's like high school all over again. It's like you got all these different groups, these different cliques. You remember high school? You got like the jocks, you got the, the preppy kids, you got the you know the nerds or something, and all these different groups. And you can hang out with your group, you can hang out with, with your little clique over here, but don't you dare try to intermingle with some of these other guys. Like if you're one of the, the nerdy kids, you better not be hanging out with the jocks over here, because then you might get rejected by these guys. I mean, it's just this crazy mentality. And we joke around. Like, this is a high school thing. But the truth is, and I think we all know this, the truth is, just like Peter, this isn't just a high school thing, man. This is something that we struggle with, all of us, throughout our lives. As adults, it follows us into adulthood. Look at your workplaces and your families and your own groups of friends, even churches. This happens to this day. It doesn't matter how old you are. It continues to follow us. And it's like, okay, well, why is this? Why is this? Why do we do this? Why am I prone to this as well? Why do I see this in my own life? And the answer is because we are trying to find our acceptance. We're trying to find our acceptance. And a better way to put this is we're trying to earn our acceptance. Trying to earn it. And there's a couple of main ways that we try to earn our acceptance. The first way is we try to earn it through the world. We try to earn it through the world by believing that, you know what, I gotta be, I gotta be good enough. I gotta look good enough. I gotta, I gotta sound good enough. I've, I've gotta have the right degrees. I've gotta, gotta say the right things. Gotta have the, the right career. Gotta have enough achievements. If I don't have all these things, then, then people aren't gonna accept me. They're not gonna like me. So I gotta do all these things and pile up these things through my life and show them my resume to look good so that way I can get my acceptance try to get it through the world. Another way that we try to get it, we try to earn it from God. We try to earn it from God, and we do this by trying to be holy enough. Trying to be holy enough. It's like, okay, I, I got to read the Bible every single day. Every day. Don't, don't miss a day. You miss a day, God's going to put a little tally mark down, right? Three tallies, three strikes, and you're out for the year, man. 
Let's just treat God like you're Santa Claus. You know, you're, 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 you're naughty. You're not going to be good enough, right, if you, if you miss a day. Or you better keep on going to church or, you know, praying all the time, all these different things. And, and hear me on this. It's not like these things are bad, okay? I, I want to make sure that you understand that these things are great things, and they are needed things. We need to pray. We need to be in church and reading our Bibles. But what we have to understand is these things do not save us. They do not save us. And they have nothing to do with how much God loves you or accepts you. Nothing. Let me just, let me just put this very plainly, very simply. There is absolutely nothing that you could ever do. It is completely impossible for you to get God to love you more, to accept you more. You cannot do it. You can't do it. Your acceptance by God is found in one place and in one place alone. And I'm going to be mean, and I'm not going to tell you what it is until after the next text. Let's dive into this text, and we're going to see what that is, where we find that acceptance. Galatians chapter 2, this is going to be the last text we're going to be in, 15 through 21. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild these things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for me. In this text, one of the things that Paul is hitting home on over and over and over again, just driving home, is this word justify justification and we're going to be getting into we're going to be diving into that word the meaning of it a lot deeper in the weeks ahead as we keep on unpacking this book but for now understand that justification uh, by faith in christ is essentially paul's way of describing explaining the gospel message in a nutshell justification by faith in christ alone Justification um, it essentially means being made clean or being made right before God. And the gospel tells us that the only way that we are justified, the only way that we are made right before God is through Jesus. That's the only way. Timothy Keller puts it like this. Justification means that in Christ, though we are actually sinners, we are not under condemnation. In other words, God accepts us despite our sin. Hear me on this. Your acceptance... Um, or we're not acceptable to God because we are righteous. We are considered righteous before God because we are accepted by Him. That's how that works. And because our justification comes through Christ alone, that also means that our salvation comes through Christ alone and not through the law. In other words, it, it doesn't come from anything that you've done. It's not something that you've earned or you've deserved. You can never earn it. You can never deserve it. It's simply a free gift of grace found only in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. And that is it. That is it. No other place. And the one response that we are called to, the only response that we are called to, is faith. 
faith. Not by your works, by your faith. And Paul hammers home the importance of justification in this text by telling us that, that if we were able to justify ourselves, in other words, if we were able to save ourselves, then Jesus died for nothing. He died for nothing. In other words, his death on the cross in your place was completely and utterly meaningless. It had no meaning, had no purpose, no value if you can justify yourself, if you can save yourself. But because of our need for his salvation, guys, gives life a completely different outlook. Our desperation for Christ causes us to look at him with sincere willingness to submit our lives to him. Everything we are, everything that we have to him. This is how we live our lives in line with the gospel, submitting ourselves to its truth and finding true meaning in life in Christ alone. Because that's why Paul, Paul could boldly say, um, uh, uh, Jesus is alive in me. I am dead. Jesus is alive in me. He, he was saying essentially that Christ is the only one that reigned in his life. It wasn't the sin that he struggled with. He still struggled with sin. He wasn't perfect. But Jesus is the only one that reigned in his life. The sin no longer defined him. Only Jesus did. That's what he was saying through that. His sin died with Jesus on that cross. And Paul understood that the moment that he believed in Jesus for salvation, that moment is also the moment that he was justified and he was accepted by God. And nothing could ever change that. Nothing could ever take that away from him. And guys, when we are saved, when we have, been, we have submitted to the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place, then nothing can ever change that. You are accepted. You have been justified. Nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever take that away from you. Ever. Guys, our acceptance can only be found in Christ alone. He is where our, we find our meaning. He's where we find our acceptance, and he is where we find our life. Don't try to fight it or overcomplicate it. Just accept God's free gift of grace found only through Christ and walk in the light of the life that he died to give you. And there's this question, okay, like, well, how do we do this? Like, practically speaking, how do we do this? And, and I want to end with three practical ways that we can begin to do this. The first one is by standing firmly on the truth of the gospel. Standing firmly on the truth of the gospel. Because when we stand firmly on the truth of the gospel, then we won't add or subtract anything from that message. The gospel is a message about what God has done for us, not what we have done from God. It's that it has nothing to do with what we have done. It's all about what God has done. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus um, your good works. It's not Jesus plus your spouse. Jesus plus your kids. It's Jesus plus nothing, and the result is everything. The result is salvation. The result is hope. The result is freedom and acceptance and justification. Jesus plus nothing. Stand firmly on the truth of the gospel. The second thing is trust Jesus fully. Trust him fully. Guys, it's, it's easy to trust God in the good times, isn't it? When everything seems to be going our way already, it's, it's easy to trust him then. And it's easy to trust God um, with the superficial layers of our life too. For example, our time when it's convenient. Right? Our money when it's not that much. Our, our, our talents, our gifts whenever it's something that we already enjoy doing and we get to dictate how and when we do it. Like, that, that's easy to trust God. With that. I mean, all those examples I just gave you, 
that carries with it this kind of like me-focused mentality. It's all about me. If it's about me, if it's convenient for me, if it fits my schedule, then I'll trust God. And that's easy to do that. But when we change that focus from a me-focused mentality to a Jesus-centered mentality, that changes everything. Then all of a sudden, our schedule isn't our own. It's his. Our life is his. Our money is his. Our resources, our gifts, our talents, it's all his. It is all about him and for his glory. Guys, hear me on this. The extent to which we give of ourselves is determined by the extent to which we actually trust him. Determined by the extent to which we actually trust him. Because the more that we trust him, the more that we will begin to see that everything in this life is simply a blessing and a resource given by God. Everything. It's a direct result of his provision in your life. Trust Jesus fully. The last thing is continually remind yourself. Continually remind yourself. And you're like, okay, continually remind myself of what? Continually remind yourself who you are and whose you are. You are a loved son or daughter of the king of the universe that is 100% accepted by God because of Jesus. That's who you are. Remind yourself that true life is only found in Christ and nowhere else. As once we are saved, we are accepted in Christ and nothing will ever ever but if we're not careful hear me on this if we're not careful then we're going to find ourselves drifting right back to that bondage the shackles the, the slavery of trying to earn our acceptance that has already been 100 given to us by christ the things that help us a couple of things that help us remind us that we are 100 alive and accepted by god and nothing will ever change that is god's word god's word reminds us other Christians remind us. That's one of the reasons that we gather here together and we encourage each other. We lift each other up, point each other towards Jesus. Guys, everything in life, the things that we listen to, the things that we watch, the people that we hang out with, those things will either help to remind us that we are 100% alive and accepted by God through Christ, or they will try to lead us right back to this life of bondage and slavery trying to earn that acceptance. When we stand firmly on the truth of the gospel, when we trust Jesus fully, and when we constantly remind ourselves that we are 100% accepted, that is when we will be living out the true meaning, knowing that true life is only found in Christ. Worship team, you guys can come on up. If you're here today and you're somebody that's, that's been struggling with that, struggling with acceptance, and trying to find it in different places in life, then please know that acceptance can only be found in Jesus. Everything in life, every person in life, it will all, it all fail you. The only thing that is constant, the only thing that will not fail us is Jesus. He is the only one that we can find our acceptance in our life. And if you're here today and you've, you've never responded to the gospel, then I want you to know, as we said before, if Jesus meets us where we're at, he will save you where you are at. And so I'd love to talk with you. You can just pray where you're at. You can come and talk with me. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus and about the gospel. But if you're a Christian, you're here today and you're a Christian, and you found yourself kind of you know, swaying back towards trying to find your acceptance in other things, and you know the Holy Spirit has been working on you, and you know, you know that there's something wrong with this, then please give it to him. Cry out to him. He loves you. 
know that you are 100% accepted and loved and cherished by him. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with you. As we stand, let's go ahead and stand together and worship. You respond. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourselves God and all these other things in life God and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.